Hey guys, no frills episode this week. I'm just putting this together last minute on a Wednesday night. Uh, we interrupted this week's regularly scheduled programming for that GameStop episode. We're right back with Crying A Lot 49. My guest in this episode on chapters four and five of Crying A Lot 49 is Liv Lansdale. I found her on Twitter with the delicious Twitter header of the Crying of Thought 49 as in that hoe over there, 49. But yeah, so we got into some shit here. Really cool episode. I like Liv. I like what she's doing. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at we live in a society. That would be live with a L-I-V. See what she did there. At we live in a society. Again, name is Liv Lansdale. She has a podcast she is working on right now that, again, really has a talent for titles. Uh, titled Blurb Slut. So yeah, take this as a blurb to go check out Blurb Slut. Uh, no songs this week. We're going to be wrapping up Crying A Lot 49 next week with Chapter 6 and my friend Marlenis McMahon-Perk. And then I don't know what we're getting up to from there. Go check me out if you want to go see some comedy. Thursday, February 18th, Williamstown, New Jersey at Racks Bar and Grill. I will be doing a show with Cricket Comedy. Go check out cricketcomedy.com. That's cricket with a K. Well, that's cricket with two Ks. That's cricket, K-R-I-C-K-E-T, comedy. Comedy has no Ks, dot com. Go check it out. On April 2nd, if you are in Central Eastern, Northeastern PA, I don't know how that works. I'm going to be in Easton, Pennsylvania at The Greek Meat Guy. I looked into it. That is the actual name of the place, The Greek Meat Guy, for the Easton Comedy Offensive. Come check me out. I wrote some really interesting stuff. You know, I'll give you guys a little bit of a preview. Um, my stepfather died over a year ago, as happens. Uh, my mother has this weird thing with adorable, innocent nudity. Yeah, I'm just going to start with no context and tell you that. <laughs> she she has framed photos of me and my brothers, like, naked all at one point or another. My graduation photo was the worst. Um, my mother randomly sends me today, like, oh, I'm going through old pictures. And I found this one of Kenny, my stepdad, in the shower. And it's just like a side hit. If you go on Twitter, I think I put it up, or on Instagram. Oh, yeah, follow me on Instagram, at jessedram, at killyourgods. Uh, send emails at jessedram.com, jessedram at gmail.com. Hello. So I sent this photo, and it's just like my dead stepdad's ass in the early 90s. Like, okay, Mom. I've had, had conversations with her about this, because, like, like, a friend came over with their, like, two-year-old baby, and the baby was just, like, running naked in the backyard, and my mom just sent me a photo of this naked child, I don't know, and I had to write it back, like, mom, I'm on the fucking bus, like, I can't be opening this, you can't just send me this, she sends me this weird photo of my stepfather's ass in the shower, I'm like, okay, that's weird, it's my mom, um, I look a little closer, I'm like, is that, me? my brother's name is Kenny, like, is that Kenny in the bathtub, and she goes, no, no, that's, that's you. Like, why am I in the bathtub with my naked stepdad? That's what? She's like, man, you were, you were friends. You, you liked him then. And it was probably your idea. Like, mom, I was four. Like, can you imagine like fucking like, okay, honey, we've dated for a little bit now. We've dated for 18 months. It's time we take this to the extra step. I want you to shower with my child. 
Like, what the fuck? She's like, you showered with your dad. Like, that's my father, you know? Like, I don't want to see my dad's dick, but if I see my dad's dick, like, I'm at least learning about my origins and roots and shit like that. Oh, God. Anyway, that's my mom. My mom might be on a podcast soon. Not mine, though, but I'll promote that when it comes out. So, yeah, come see me do comedy and discuss my weird upbringing and taking naked showers with my mom's boyfriend at the time. Uh, fuck, I've gone on. Crying Lot 49, Part 3, Chapters 4 and 5 with Liv Linsnow. We'll see you guys next week. Hey, 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 we're back. It's the Kill Your Gods podcast. Today we are covering episode episodes chapters four and five of the crying of lot 49 by thomas pinchon pinchon i don't know we'll find out my guest this week is liv linsdale how are you doing oh it's lansdale with an a uh, you know what i can read that i just misspoke <laughs> and i don't know why okay. Liv Lan- mispronouncing pinchon everything else goes to hell i totally did not mean to do that <laughs> Have you ever tried to do that where you like swap letters on something just to be silly and then you're kind of like stuck in that groove for a minute and keep messing it up? Oh, it's a magical, powerful thing. I, <laughs> when my friends are really in a bad place, I instruct them to replace every vowel of whatever words they're about to say with the double O and things immediately get better. I was a... <laughs> I, yeah, I've noticed that before. Like if you try to intentionally put a stutter on something as just like, an affectation and then i'll i'll find like i can't get out of it at mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. so funny how that happened uh so live tell us social media where we can find you anything you're working on anything you want to promote should we do that at the end when people get to know me <laughs> well we'll we'll repeat it at the end okay sure yeah uh, my twitter handle is we live in a society which is all one word and there's no e at the end of the word live because it's a dopey pun on my name nice and uh my instagram is at blurb slut which is all one word which is a (laughs) podcast that i'm about to launch as well as a number of other deranged things all right yeah go out and check out uh, blurb slut that's a that's a great one your your twitter header right now is actually you came to my attention the crying of thought 49 is pretty Thank you, thank you. I I like to have a, a a fun display name. I I am so bad at Twitter that I just forget to get to anything like that. So, what is your literary background? How can like how did yeah how how did you get here? How did you discover Pinchon? What mm-hmm. what, what do you think of uh, the man in general and his work? I think really highly of the man and. Pinchon, if you're listening to this, I am a radically accessible person. I would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, As for my own background, I saw a crescent shell in the sand on the beach when I was very, very little. And I said, moon fell down. And my mom was like, damn, my daughter is a poet. (laughs) They gave me a lot of stuff to read. Uh, I had like a lonely, only child childhood. And I read all the time. And I build notebooks with really, um, <laughs> really like uh, precocious poems. And I, as long as I can remember though, I've always kind of bowed before the altar of the novel and I've mm. studied fiction academically. 
Um, I majored in English in college at Columbia. I got really into critical theory when I was like 18 years old. Um, and Columbia is the place to study critical <laughs> theory. And, uh, but then I also just kind of, I've, I've always loved having conversations with writers because I, maybe this is a fantasy that I've been, uh, you know, indulging in my whole life, but I've always felt like the more you speak to writers, the closer you'll come to the big truth of how they do it. And then you'll then be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I snuck into graduate uh, seminars in the creative writing MFA. And then I realized, wait, you can also major in creative writing with some of these same professors as an undergraduate. So I took on a second major, even though I transferred in. And there's a big core curriculum at Columbia where it's like, oh, every important book in the history of Western literature, you got to read that. So it was mm-hmm. a, I was taking a lot of classes at once for the three years that I was there. And I regret nothing. I, I was going to say, did you have, I've heard the experience a lot of people have is uh, being forced to read for school. And I, I've, I hear so many people, people who hit like a lull in their literary intake after after school or during school, just because they, so much of their reading is mandatory that like they end up not fitting in a lot of voluntary reading as a result. Mm, no, no, I, I, um, <laughs> I was a dog walker for the, my first five years out of college mm. before the plague happened and people had to walk their own dogs. <laughs> But anyway, um, I did that because I want to be reading at all times. I need language in my brain. Um, I stream audiobooks all the time. And another fantasy that maybe it's I've been indulging in is like if I read enough contemporary literature, I will get an editorial or agenting position at a big prestigious literary organization here in New York. Also, I've had nine unpaid literary internships. Um, (laughs) But my career has been at a standstill. And it's like, all I have is the love of literature itself and the love of talking to other writers. And again, before the plague, I used to go to readings every single night. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. All right, well, that's awesome. expensive to live in New York. It is crazy to live here. So if you're not taking advantage of what you have culturally available to you, what are you doing? True. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've considered New York a lot, just because mm-hmm. this, this podcast does a bunch of different things. Books being one of them. My main thing is comedy. That's where I came from, and all this. That's how I fell into making a podcast about Infinite Jest. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, like New York is like the place everyone like. You have to go to New York. You have to go to New York, and it's just I don't understand how anyone can afford to live there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I come from money, and my father died and left me all of it. So that's the answer for you. But also, I have an angelic landlord. Woo! Sorry. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) God damn it. I wish this was a video podcast right now. That was a um, that was my dream catcher falling. I, every time That's a great sign. Like, yep, things are looking up for me. Plunge. <laughs> every time I talk about my career, my dream catcher falls. Anyway, you were you were talking up your landlord, and he just like donkey kicked the opposite wall. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I texted him right now, he's actually he's uh, with his his girlfriend out of state. Um, and they're they're adorable together. But if I <laughs> anything I need, I fe- I really feel like his princess. Like he just he provides. But what he the main thing that he provides that's a godsend for me is uh, irrationally low rent for young creatives. 
So it was a professor nice. who lived in this room that I'm in now. She was the first person to teach me how to write fiction when I arrived in New York. And the day before I graduated, I was going to just move in with my dad. I thought I had a job at Grey Wolf. I didn't. Um, and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And I checked Facebook and this woman that I liked a lot said she needed a roommate last minute. And that was in 2015. So I've been here in this house ever since. And my landlord, shout out to Knud, uh, has been really supportive. Nice. That's a, that's a great New York, like renters fantasy. Like, <laughs> look, it's been a struggle. It, there, there have been times when I have nearly given up on this house that I shan't, I shan't leave. <laughs> we're, we're, we're considering at some point, uh, my, my fiance's friend lives in, lives in Weehawken. And that seems like, yeah, maybe a compromise. I don't know. We'll get around to it anyway. So crying a lot 49 is what we're talking about. What are your thoughts on this book as, as, as a whole? Is this like, uh, a high one in your in, in your particular ranking of Pinchon? Oh yeah, yeah, the highest for me. Um, I'm someone who can't follow regular plots, like basic, mm. a Marvel movie. I I am not able to keep in touch with with uh, what the characters' motivations are, why they're in this setting, what they want, uh, who did what to whom when. I'm really just kind of I experience art in the moment. I'm paying attention. Hey. I, I, I hate Marvel movies so much because I, I know you're talking about that as like normal plot, but uh -huh. even that as normal plot kind of frustrates me to such a huge degree that, uh, cause I have a lot of friends who love those movies. These tend to be the same friends that like they'll read comic books, but could not read a novel to save their lives. Mm -hmm. And it really does kind of bother me that like a film like the Godfather, which is mostly like men speaking sternly to each other for three hours that used to be like summer blockbuster but now it's like my generation can't handle that what if we you know what if we make don Vito like you know put him in a fucking cape and like make him invisible then we can get these little add you know millennials to sit still and pay attention for a little bit i just hate that everything needs to be like birthday party like sanctified for to get people to pay attention to drama I, I blame the studios a little more than I blame us as a generation, though. I don't think that they're providing exactly what we really want. I think they should they should all be far more. They should take bigger risks. Yeah, um, I guess I guess you could say I, I guess you could say that because like it feels like TV has kind of picked up the slack that uh, that they dropped, and I know a, a big portion of that is just Hollywood overall. It, everything needs to have global appeal now to really make its money back. So anything that has any nuance of language needs to be like dumbed down and simplified. Like, I think that's why they said action movies do so well because like, and comedies do so poorly because an American comedy is not necessarily going to do great in China because who gets it? Like China is not going to understand super bad. Everybody understands a giant robot attacking your city. I believe, <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair point. I, I think the popularity of superhero movies these days is also they're like their ways of talking about trauma, like mm. the whole origin story, the what superpower is born of extreme isolation and, and strength and adversity. I think Americans are are kind of I'm not gonna say uniformly because we're all traumatized in different ways, but mm. it is a a universal aspect of what it means to be an American is to carry a bunch of it. Yeah, okay, I could definitely say ca <laughs> carrying your scars is very American at this point. Um, 
But anyway, yeah, so Crying Aloud 49, why is this like one of your favorite of uh, Pinchon's output? Um, well, I, he can get exhausting, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I listen, this is one of the craziest things I've done. I listened to Gravity's Rainbow as an audiobook, mm -hmm. uh, like walking around out on the street in public with dogs, just, just really explicit sex appearing unexpectedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, he, he's a very energetic writer and I am grateful for the brevity with this one, but mm -hmm. I, I love slim little dainty books. Like I'm a, you know, I'm one of those Bluettes worshipers. Do you know that one? Wait, what was it? The book Bluettes by Maggie Nelson. Not at all. What, uh. You know, a lot of comics should read it. I think it's funnier than people. Okay it for but it, it was like a game changer it's this very slim book and it's it's as much poetry as it is fiction as it is nonfiction, and it it's this list each paragraph has a number in front of it and it's it's just a, a woman sort of meditating on on heartbreak but it's very it's like eat your vegetables intellectual um, okay I'll, I'll look in that bluettes yeah. by who yeah, by Maggie Nelson. And by Maggie Nelson. really the only thing that book has in common with this book is that they probably have roughly the same number of pages. I'm just saying I, I like a book that you can read in an afternoon. Right. Yeah. Like that's uh, well, that's a big part of the reason I chose this as like our first uh, book club after Infinite Jest, because after Infinite Jest, everyone was like, do Gravity's Rainbow. And like, I am not doing another six month anything. Right. On this. That's as likely as David Foster Wallace read Gravity's Rainbow and he was like, huh, I should do Infinite Jest. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, you know what's fun? I, again, I don't know because uh, uh, Crying a Lot 49 is the first Pinchon I have ever read. Like, I am, and I'm, I'll be honest, haven't finished the book yet. I am still in the process. I could knock it out in an afternoon, but for the sake of this podcast, I try to do that going along. But uh, after hearing a lot of comparison, it's like it, they're both. They're both in the same genre, but I, I find I find Pinchon's storytelling so much more like I can follow this. I understand what's happening. It's not the guy has an interesting way of expressing as opposed to Wallace, who I feel is like intentionally confusing at every turn. Yeah, yeah. But they they both are interested in disorienting the reader. True. Yeah, I'll give him that. Yeah, there's parts of this book that feel like very, uh, very dreamlike, just in how the action kind of progresses, especially uh, psychedelic even. Yes, exactly. All right. Yeah. I think we can get into our summary here. So again, this is chapters four and five. Again, interrupt anytime you have anything to say. Okay. So after rereading Pierce's will later on, Oedipa has a new recent, a renewed sense of purpose. If this really was Pierce's attempt to leave something important behind, she owed it to him to do it. Oedipa goes to a stockholders meeting for the Yo-Yo Dine Company, a firm owned in part by Inverarity. Stockholders, oh, she is seating between two elderly twins, both of whom take turns putting their hand, hands on her thighs. I always pictured Deanne Arbus character, you know, figures from her photography when I mm. read. I could see that. American I could see that. <laughs> um, after taking a brief tour, she stumbles into the office of Stanley Kotex, which, well, only looking at this now, is that meant to be a reference to Kotex, like, menstruation pads, or? Well, we've got Mike Fallopian. We do have Mike Fallopian. Okay, I am, we're making connections. Uh, 
what do they mean? <laughs> a heavy flow day. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so meet Stanley Kotex, who is drawing the muted post horn symbol on his pad of paper. Uh, posing as a stockholder, they have a discussion about teamwork, which Kotex dismisses. Uh, random, what are your thoughts on teamwork? Because I've always hated it, and I'll just start with that. I was definitely that kid in grade school who was like, I know this is a group project, but I'm just going to do it all. <laughs> yes. And I'm trying to not be that person as an adult. Because I do I do believe in synergy. I believe that teamwork is a beautiful thing and that everyone brings something different to the table. And I like it when uh, you encounter something that it's like this collaboration needed to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think collaboration definitely can work. But we talk about teamwork, I immediately think of two things. I think of school. And I think of employment, both are cases where collaboration is usually determined by whoever the fuck you're paired with. So are you going to be paired with somebody who is as interested and motivated, or are you going to get a pace theater? Mm -hmm. And I always ended up with a pace theater. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I we get some have a tendency to pick the people who no one else was picking to, to pair up with because I didn't want them to feel unwanted. Oh, you're one of you're you're an empathetic person. I was, but now I'm a frigid ice queen. That's I, I rebranded. That is the proper Pokemon evolution of of a person, <laughs> though. You, you at a young age, you feel bad for the kid, you know, scratching his ass and then sniffing it, and then after enough attempts, that like, okay, maybe they're better off alone. They're happier alone. That's what I think. I think I'm happier alone too. Get away from me. Um, you know, I it's my tea very slowly, listeners. <laughs> uh, okay, so Kotex tells her about a scientist named John Nefastus who has put uh, who has built a type of Maxwell's demon or a physically impossible machine that allows for perpetual motion by violating the second law of thermodynamics. So, this is one of the confusing things I've had by watching this. Is there like an actual demon at play here, or is it just? the piston or i'm not entirely sure what they're suggesting here i'm gonna go out on a limb and say not an actual demon okay yeah i i think that there there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens with pinchon but none of it is actually supernatural supernatural okay okay um yeah kotex edipa Kotex encourages Oedipa to meet with Nefastus. She tries to pretend she knows what uh, W-A-S-T-E is, but she pronounces it like the word waste, which gives her away. So, Liv, can you think of an example where you tried to seem informed or cool and that backfired on you? I'm hoping it doesn't happen in this podcast. <laughs> uh, not there. Like the story of my entire life. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think, uh, what was it? Oh, God. I remember, this was like back in the chat room days of, uh, of of the internet. And I think I definitely come across sympathetic in this story. But th this is kind of like my introduction to music snobs, people okay. I fucking hate. <laughs> and I was trying to, I had heard a Pantera song where like the, the, the lyric is respect, walk, what do you say, whatever. But I didn't know that at the time. I was like, 
12, 13. So in a random chat room, I asked like, hey, what's, guys, what's that song where it's like breathe, sweat or whatever? It's like, and a bunch of people were like, those are the fucking wrong lyrics, you poser asshole noob. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot you came out of the womb listening to fucking Slayer and we're never a nerd trying to get into something, you know, but I, I tried to double down and pretend like, no, I knew that I was joking around and then I became a comedian to cover my ass for all all time afterward. Oh, one of the uh, one of the men I interviewed for a book project a couple of years ago is a huge Slayer fan. I think he'd like that story. I'll put you in touch with him. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, so while we're here, because that was also about a misinterpretation, you and I got in a little bit of a discussion of pronunciation off <laughs> air. We did. Yes, we did. So what, what did we come down to? Uh, give us the background on that, because you you messaged me saying we weren't sure. How do you pronounce Pinchon? Have we gotten I, there's some controversy here? Um, well, I think we should. We should take his word for it because he pronounces his own name when he has that cameo on The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. I believe he says Pinchon. But you said there are things out there saying it was Pinchin, or I feel like that's how you were pronouncing it before. I I I barely pronounce my name the same way twice. Yeah, I I have handwriting that looks like twelve different people's. I I've gotten in trouble with my own bank. They're like, "Are you stealing <laughs> yourself?" <laughs> you aren't quintuplets by any chance, are you? Fish, um, man, I was so lonely for so long. You know, let's talk. Let's talk about that for a second. What was? I feel like uh, literary people have a few things in common, and a lot of loneliness tends to be one of them. Now, yeah. I had uh, I had siblings growing up, but I was the oldest, and we were all like five years apart, so it was a little different. Also, I was just not good. Eh, whatever. I'll give a lot of context. Uh, my mother's best friend was murdered by a serial killer when she was 17. And as a result, my mother was very paranoid about me. So I was not allowed to leave the yard until I was 13. So you might serial kill someone. I might serial kill someone. I might, I mean, that would be, <laughs> that would almost be like, you know, I want to protect you from being, I want to protect you from doctors, but also if you became a doctor, that would be okay. <laughs> But yeah, so I found solace in books. Uh, at a young age, I remember reading all the Goosebumps and Animorphs books to the extent that one of my teachers, uh, an English teacher, every asshole teacher I ever had was an English teacher. One of my teachers, when I was like eight or nine, called home and said, Jesse's reading too much. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that, that's what I would do during recess. Instead, you know, I don't I don't want to play. I I I need to <laughs> I need to see what's going on with the animorphs guys. You know, I had a a really mediocre history teacher when I was in sixth grade. He was like a climate denier and just great a start. Yeah, problematic person. And he told my parents at a PTA meeting that when I grow up, I might be something like the power behind the throne to a very influential man. How? I was in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> like, not, I don't think that behavior was manifesting with any of my male friends. I have no okay. idea where he got that idea. Hi there, M Mr. and Mrs. Lansdale. Uh, li li lives, doing, lives doing great this year. Um, I think she might be Ava Braun. 
god. I know. Um, but, part is, like, I was, I just got out of a four-year relationship with someone who did have a fancy career, and I do not have a fancy career. And I was like, damn it, how do I break out of this destiny? Oh god. Well, see, while I'm doing Crying a Lot 49, I'm actually uh, watching Game of Thrones for the first time and doing a podcast about that with my fiance. So I'm seeing a lot of that, like you know, the the woman behind the throne kind of like manipulation okay. shit. Yeah, but also a lot of women getting raped for no reason for the plot. Not. I, I, I'm I'm only in season two. I'll be honest. Not as much as I was expecting. I was oh. expecting way more rape. Okay, great. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> watch Game Three. Watch Game of Thrones. Not as much rape as expected. <coughs> Frankly, kind of disappointed. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Um. Okay, oh, uh, later she and Metzger discuss Kotex at the Scope with Mike Fallopian, who mentions the disillusion corporate inventors face that uh, they have had society lie to them about the singular inventor theory. And uh, yeah, we kind of hit on this with some of the teamwork talk, but I guess that is something in popular culture that I, uh, people have to deal with. Because when you think of inventors, you think of like these individual people like, you know, Edison, Tesla, mm -hmm. uh, but there's always like some kind of group involved. Like, I mean, Marconi is known for the radio and apparently there's some other poor bastard that we don't even remember in this country who actually invented radio. Mm -hmm. um, so wanting to learn more about the Courier's tra tragedy, Oedipa gets an anthology of Jacobian this was another one. We could not figure out what the exact uh, pronunciation was. Jacobin? Jacobian? Mm, no. uh, uh, revenge plays she notices that the paperback copy has no mention of the Tristero however which puzzles her she decides to go to Berkeley to meet with the publisher in the meantime she stops by an elderly care home that Pierce had owned where she meets an old man with a ring depicting the muted post horn uh, so real quick question here on the topic as the novel goes along we start seeing the post horn everywhere yeah. <laughs> uh, can you think of an example from your life where, like, something you saw for the first time and then suddenly it was absolutely everywhere? Um, watching the TV show Girls, uh, I it, I started watching it before I arrived in New York. Mm. I thought that I would have all of these girlfriends who were like the girls from Girls, but instead, every man I met fit into one of those archetypes. Oh wow! It's like, am I am like, do I want this to be true? And I, my mind is like squeezing these men who are unique butterflies into these archetypes. But it it really it had an uncanny quality. So many rays in my life still today. <laughs> God, that's interesting. Um, yeah. See, my my closest thing I have on this, I have. Uh, I always notice when there's something that just like went over my head. Like, there's so much in. And I don't mean phil uh, philosophically, I mean just in like engaging in art. Because I feel like there's pop culture stuff that everybody misses. Um, the song Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen, famously covered by Jeff Buckley. I don't think I heard that song for the first time until 10 years ago. Mm. And a lot of people were like, are you kidding? I've known that since I was like nine. But as soon as I heard that, like actually sat down and listened to that song for the first time, mm -hmm. I noticed like, oh, it appears in like 10 of my favorite movies. Like just something about it it just never got through to me i don't 
I don't know why. Anyway. Did you not see Shrek when it came out? I saw Shrek when it came out. I didn't, I think I was more stoked that like they animated Tom Waits into the end of it. I, and I just (laughs) missed, I only had, I only had enough room for a, for a poetic vanguard singer songwriter. I only had enough Ram to remember one from Shrek one. And that was Tom Waits. (laughs) I think it was the Rufus Rainwright cover that they featured in in Shrek, but I, I couldn't tell you for sure. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, she hires a stamp expert named Genghis Cohen, which is a great fucking name. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love character names like this. Does Pinchon always have, like, interesting... Ca- Can you think of any off the top of your head that are particularly cool from other books? Um, no, I cannot. But uh, yes, <laughs> Moving on. Now... Uh, <laughs> Funny, I list, I listened to every second of Gravity's Rainbow, and I could not tell you one of the four hundred character names. <laughs> TV show Dark. I don't, except aside from um, from, yeah, no, I, I don't remember anybody's name. Mm. Uh, so she hires Genghis Cohen to go through Pierce's stamp collection. After doing so, Genghis tells her that some of Pierce's stamps have a muted post horn in the watermark. Oedipa begins to realize she is uncovering a large mystery, and I believe that's the end of that chapter. Um, Oedipa goes to Berkeley to meet with John Nefastus, who shows her his perpetual motion machine. She <laughs> walks on... Their meeting is baffling. I know. Don't you hate it when you get to know a man and he shows you his perpetual motion machine? Before the perpetual motion machine, she comes in and he's just like watching like pretty much a chi- a children beauty pageant it just says it's little girls dancing and he just says like oh yeah I, I find girls that age cute and Oedipa just says like oh yeah my husband's the same way and then the <laughs> fastest gives her like a big shit-eating grin and then shows her the machine like like oh well I was really gonna play coy but you validated my pedophilia so let me go show you my impossible perpetual motion machine yeah, this novel has one of my favorite sex scenes in all of literature. If I were Oedipa, like, I would never stop putting clothes on. But this <laughs> cast of characters, every page, it would be like, and then let's put on another sweater. So, all right, you know what? Let's go back and talk about that chunk a little bit, because I really like that part of the book, yeah. even though it, um, I feel like we didn't know Oedipa enough at that point. So it seemed kind of weird that she just got very quickly seduced by this former child actor turned... Uh, you know, whatever. And also, yeah, unlike the other chapters, we completely lost the paranoids in this chunk of the book, which bothers me because I love those fucking weirdos. Um, That's why I'm dressed the way I am. I'm dressed like a paranoid's goofy. Ah, I, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. This is not a visual podcast, but I my own podcast that I'm about to launch, people are telling me that it would be wise to make it visual, so I'm practicing, hence this big elaborate set behind me. Nice. Very yeah. nice. I, I, I hope that is a fully integrated... Uh, outfit and that you also have a fistful of marijuana in one of the pockets i'm still seeking employment so i <laughs> <laughs> guys it's in the book we're not talking about that um yeah i do the rest of this podcast in that socal baby voice drawl that you hear in inherent vice Doc wasn't a do-gooder, but he did good. <laughs> he did okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love that sex scene, but um, all right, shed some light on this for me because I had this question after that first episode where um, after she has the, the fling with all the clothes and Metzger and they're pretty much like post-coital laying around and she asks him, what did Pierce tell you about me? 
and he responds uh he said you wouldn't be so easy like is that implying that like pierce wanted metzger to seduce her did uh, was i reading that right i feel like it's all all it's really saying is that these these are the type of men who cannot discuss a woman in terms other than is she down to fuck that's all that it signaled to me i don't know if it's a conspiracy to bed edipa i don't know okay okay what so as somebody who reads a lot and uh i wanted you on this podcast because you seemed interesting but i also wanted a female voice so it's not just a bunch of dudes talking about this edipa um what do you think of her presentation especially since we're at a time in literature and fiction of all kinds right now where uh people are really criticizing anybody writing a character especially a protagonist that is a different person than themselves now in this case i mean it's a man say that once more you mean like the identity angst like can men write women should they exactly yes how how do you think pinchon and oedipa has has their symbiosis in here well first of all i don't think pinchon is interested in creating characters the way fiction up until that point in history was interested like he especially beginning around Henry James, there was this idea that like fiction writers create characters to show you what the psyche is and the character has to be um, deep and you have to really, like that's what realism promises. Like you, you can never truly know another person in your own life maybe, but you can read um, Madame Bovary and you see every facet of this woman. Pynchon is like a little kid playing with dolls. He's like, we're going to have this dude. This dude has a silly name. He's going to say some silly things and boom, he's gone. Now we're having the next person. And so the fact, you know. And then Oedipus is going to put on all the clothes and go to Kurt and they're going to (laughs) go. Exactly. Yeah. Like I don't, it doesn't bother me that Pynchon has not endeavored to make her the most realistic or three-dimensional human. Um, I'm perfectly fine with her having a silly name and being a little cartoonish. For me, as a critical theory junkie, I love this sex scene because it feels like it's winking at the literary movement that he championed, which is postmodernism. Like this idea of, first of all, Metzger, I. I, I really don't know anything about Hebrew, but I looked this up and Metz um, supposedly means to find. Okay. So Metzger could mean like finder. And so he's seeking something from Ooh. her. Well, so r- real quick, and I only know this because one of my favorite comedians, his last name is Metzger. And, is it uh, Kurt Metzger? Yeah, I love Kurt Metzger. Yeah, is, he's not the person who used to be involved with Amy Schumer, is he? Yeah, he was. He's oh, uh, the guy. He really fucked up. Damn it. Yeah, he's uh, uh, he's he's good at he's good at putting his foot in his mouth. I uh, won't won't excuse that. I'm trying to get him on the podcast to talk about being a Jehovah's Witness. So I can't say too much. But he said before that I think his name translates in German to uh, butcher. Hmm. So. Like- his own career well that's so yeah <laughs> i mean you're really you're really not wrong because, uh, because i it's when these when these creative men 
do dumb destructive things you know it's like the reason why i get so upset over it is because i was rooting for you you know mm. like inside amy schumer was a fucking funny show and it it was feminist in ways that i appreciated and yeah you know what's funny i was just watching the um last night a great sketch from Amy Schumer where they had like a boy band song where the song is a uh, girl you don't need makeup and <laughs> and pretty much in the video the whole first verse is like you know you look you look so much better without that throw that shit in the trash and then the second verse they see her without the makeup and then immediately start walking it back like oh wait wait, wait hold on like I think there's actually a line in there like you know girl when I told you to not put on makeup I thought like I thought it was like when you rip up a carpet expecting hardwood underneath and instead you find dirty linoleum instead. Like, <laughs> these are just- That famous Jonathan Swift poem from the fucking 18th century, just like lambasting womanhood for being so gross with our various slimy substances that we put on our faces. Yeah, I feel I, I, I feel bad because my, my fiance's, my fiance's a very, Big feminist which you know she should be why why wouldn't you be but in a lot of the teasing i think i do kind of take the role of that girl like anything womanly I, my first response is like oh okay gross which <laughs> like she knows i don't mean that but i don't know well you could make the argument that you're being an even bigger feminist by celebrating the ways women's bodies are gross too exactly we're all gross and disgusting and none of us should touch each other and i <laughs> <laughs> I just think you should really expect respect my position and my background and my trauma. Um, shit. Oh yeah. So okay. Overall, uh, and fuck. All right, we can get back into it. Edipa goes to Berkeley, where we. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, speaking of Metzger, I did notice in this in these chapters he really drops off. We. He, it seemed like he was a prime mover in the story, and in this entire section, I think he has like one drunken argument with Mike Fallopian, and that's it. Listen, Pinchon is all about decentralization. There's no primary mover in the form mm. of single, like, you know, like everything is, is a constellation. Okay. Yeah, yeah I guess that, that- Can I go back to the sex scene for a second? Cause I didn't actually Absolutely. know what I was gonna say. So postmodernism is, is, about, is about this absence of a primary mover. It's about that there isn't necessarily a one-to-one -one direct relationship between sign and signified, right? And so for there to be a sex scene where um, a man is trying to undress a woman, but they're just more, you know, it's turtles all the way down. It's like every time you get underneath one layer, there's another layer. Like that's, to me, that felt like a, a dramatization of what postmodernism is all about. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a great way of, you know, turning the old adage on its head where like, you know, the man is going to have all the power suggesting this game like, oh, well, I'll tell you, but you're going for every answer you get, you're going to take off a, a an article of clothing. And she says, ooh, okay, big daddy, let me just go freshen up real quick. And then she comes out wearing every piece of clothing she has. Boss move. Yeah. Looking like a bloated tick. Like, are you ready for me, daddy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... Okay, so the perpetual motion machine can only be operated by people with special mental capabilities, allowing them to communicate with the machine. And he tells Oedipa that he has no such mental skills. Uh, she stares looking at it for a while, and then eventually she's like, it's not working. And he goes, oh, okay, well, you want to fuck instead? Like, really creepily. I, I didn't like it. Uh, I have... 
I don't know. I feel like I've known men like Nefastus who like as soon as they get that little uh, that little bit of like oh they're they're treating you as slightly more than a stranger they're like all right great let's fuck suck my dick yeah no right his name is a perfect combination of nefarious and fastest what is fastest fastest like he's came the fastest like it was bad sex and it was uh, oh like actual nefarious. speed yeah. I'm, I'm dumb like if the, if something's even like slightly spelled differently i'm lost on that Okay, but that's another name. Like, uh, I was actually going to mention this before, uh, how those names can really not work. Like, they need, to, they need to be right on the level of, like, it can't be too corny. Uh, there's a very cheesy prog metal band I like called Dream Theater, and they made a concept album, which was just so bad, because it was like, if you, all right, concept album, what's the lamest idea you can have? How about a mu a future where music is outlawed? Like, okay, if if this was your third grade music class idea, A plus banana sticker, sure. The, the name of the bad guy character in this concept album is Lord Nefarious, Ooh. which was just like, guys, too, too on the nose like you might you might as well have named him dr no good nick that's it's just bad uh so he propositions her she runs out screaming Oedipa then begins a very very long night of wandering around aimlessly all over the bay area and this is where i feel like we get a little bit of that psychedelic thing uh she ends up swarmed into a gay bar that somebody sneaks in and like whispers in her ear and puts a name tag on her breast with the name Arnold Snarb. And I, I, I kind of get the, did you watch uh, Bojack Horseman? Yes. Love it. Uh, this all, I almost picture this as like the undersea episode where he keeps getting herded with like the anchovies as they like move en masse from place to place. And he just kind of stuck in the middle. So mm -hmm. she gets kind of swarmed into this gay bar where she encounters the muted uh, post horn symbol almost everywhere, leading her to believe that she may be hallucinating. Um, she meets a man who tells her a history of, I know it's W-A-S-T-E, I'm just going to say waste, uh, existing after a man placed an ad in the LA Times asking people to respond with reasons not to kill himself. He got no response until one day a bum knocked on his door with a sack of letters from people who'd attempted suicide and failed. Despite this, they could come up with no reason to continue living. <laughs> uh, yeah, is, I, love, I love just the, the prominence of letters in this novel. Like People are always receiving them. They're showing up out of nowhere. And most of the time they mean absolutely nothing. I had, it, it's fun to revisit this given the, all the drama that we're experiencing with the postal service now. Oh yeah, not the person I'm having on next week, they actually really, they have an out view of this book as like weirdly prophetic of like the Trumpian buildup in the 2020 election, specifically uh, trying to co-opt the mail system to, you know, work for his own devices. Now, one thing that I think Pinchon does really well is capture the, how uh, crazy making it can be to live in a society where there are this many subcultures. And in the sixties, like, there were a bunch, but now it's only, you know, it's metastasized. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting right now. Actually, real quick on the letters. One of the cool things I had from a uh, entire COVID pandemic, I actually had a few friends who went on like letter writing sprees. Like they wanted to bring that out. So they would just buy all this card stock and they just spend a day like writing nice little like 
who gives a shit could have gotten done in like three texts and instead they had it mailed to our house and then we took her little text and left it on the refrigerator for six months yeah instead of actually launching my own podcast i made about a thousand business cards by hand and and left them around prospect park it brought a lot of followers to the instagram so that's a start hey there you go i mean i I, I guess sure the water's warm before I jump in, you know, there you go. But you're doing it the right way. I'm doing it kind of wrong in that. Like we, we get a lot of downloads on this and I have very few followers on any, Hey, whoever's listening to this, follow me at Jesse Dram because my numbers suck. Uh, <laughs> a lot of my followers, like my, my Twitter account actually started. I was doing digital content management for a porn streaming company. Oh and- my gosh. We've got to talk more about this. Okay. Um, but, but go on, finish what you were saying. Oh, uh, well, that was pretty much the, or we had to, this blog we were running, everybody had, it was very like personality based. So. Uh, <laughs> like all pornography. Exactly. Like my, <laughs> my name was uh, Victor Vasilino, mm-hmm. which, which was, <laughs> when I told my uncle I got this job, he said like, I always, if you need ever need a pseudonym, I always said when I, if I ever got into porn, my name would be Victor Vasilino. So I took that name. Later changed to Vicky Vasilino when I realized nobody wants to read about a guy talking about porn. Um, but yeah, when I left that job, I just kept that Twitter account and made it my personal one. So like, I'll get, whenever I have activity on there, it'll be like, Pretty much, there is an article I wrote about an Italian porn star retiring six years ago that still gets like 17 likes and comments a week. Wow. And the guy didn't even end up retiring. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, so do you have any questions about my porn experience? Yeah, yeah. Can I put you in touch with someone? I've got a male friend who has, uh, like he DMs me late at night making vague allusions to his quote porn past. And I'm like trying so hard to like let him know that many, many, many men have done porn and it's not like a taint on your character. Like it doesn't have to be a big deal. I, yeah, I don't know. I just want to like put him in touch with other people. He's, he's carrying this baggage that he doesn't need to be carrying. Oh, well, keep my, I never, I, I had to explain this to people. I actually had to explain a lot on like job interviews because unfortunately most of my digital content management, like, that was what I was doing. And I had like a few videos go viral, but like, it was a boring office job. Like there was no, like we were just third party distribution. I you got to up, like, here's this pizza you ordered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know what? We already talked about one problematic man. Uh, my, my biggest memory from that was uh, Ron Jeremy was one of our spokesmen for the company. Uh, yeah. And I had to be his uh, personal bodyguard for a night. And long story short, me, so, well, so several hours later, me and Ron Jeremy end up backstage at a Guar concert. It was mm-hmm. a very confusing evening. And uh, yeah, he's guilty of everything he's accused of. That's all I have to say on that. Oh, Lord. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Uh, so, oh, after getting no, everybody responding with no reason to continue living, the man doused himself in gasoline just in time for the wife to come home with her lover, the man who fired him from Yo-Yo Dine, uh, <laughs> and gave his job to a computer. They smell gas, come in and find him. The man says, I was about to burn myself. 
and fucking hilarious the efficiency expert responds it took you this long the computer the computer that replaced you would have come to that conclusion in microseconds uh he takes off his clothes and takes a shower but notices the gasoline burns the ink off of the stamps revealing the muted horn and dedicates his life to the society of isolates uh Oedipa inquires what came of the man and the guy at the bar says he's anonymous but you can write to him at founder comma ia so i'm i'm stoked that, uh, for for how like postmodern this is and i feel like postmodern is too broad a term because it can trying to think i think he's structuring this with a lot of intrigue and skill whereas i feel like a lot of postmodernism uh some authors kind of use that as a blank check to be sloppy mm-hmm. but uh, i I'm, I'm really impressed with how this is coming along and i'm really i'm really intrigued by what's to come especially with this founder we were talking about letters earlier do you get many people who write into the pod um sometimes yeah yeah i i, I encourage that i give out my email every mm-hmm. podcast i i'm really interested in learning why the term postmodernism is so common, but post-structuralism, like you never hear anybody talk about that. And I know they're not exactly synonyms, but it's just something I've always wondered about. I f- uh, well, I think part of it is just that, I mean, the, the term postmodern has been in use. It's it's honestly out of date because it's been in use for almost like what, uh, what? What would you say is the birth of postmodernism in like, I guess art would probably be like visual art would probably be the origin of that. Are we almost at like a hundred years of postmodernism now? Mm-hmm. I okay, maybe, maybe that's a that's a long discussion. Yeah. Okay. Um. Oh, by the way, Maxwell's demon. We were talking about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Thought experiment, real thing created by James Clerk Maxwell in eighteen seventy-seven which he suggested, I'm reading directly from Wikipedia, so we know this is true. Read it. How the second law of thermodynamics might hypothetically be violated. A demon controls a small door between two compartments of gas in the thought experiment. Um, yeah. Did you already know that? Because I didn't know this. It, it, they, yeah. mention, they mention it in the uh, <laughs> text itself. Mm-hmm. But hold on. Actually, what would help is if I actually knew the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, Second law of thermodynamics establishes the concept of entropy as a physical... uh, That doesn't help me. God damn it. Arguably, this novel's only theme. Miscommunication and entropy. Okay. Huh, funny. A lot of stuff that's coming up is Maxwell's demon. Uh, If you were constrained to put your... what. that's not helping. I should have done more research is what we're getting at here. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I don't know. It, it sounds a little bit like something they're trying to say with like, uh, it sounds similar to like the Schrodinger's cat type thing. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know how apt that is because I think after the fact, it kind of after that like caught some steam in the culture at large philosophically, Schrodinger himself said, like, no, that's not at all what I was talking about. Your people are all fucking idiots. And then we proceeded to not listen to him and continue quoting it forever. Mm-hmm. Culminating in me naming a cat Schrodinger in 2012. Anyway. Uh, just before dawn, however, Oedipa encounters an old man who hands her a letter and asks her to deliver it via the waste under the freeway. Um, 
She then follows, wait, yeah. After helping the man to his room, Oedipa finds a waste facility under the freeway, drops in a letter, and waits for the delivery man, whom she follows to Oakland and back to Berkeley after he picks up the letters and delivers them. Oedipa returns to her home in Kinneret to see her doctor, who begins shooting at her as she pulls up. Uh, he has gone crazy, obsessed with the idea that Israelis are coming to kill him because he assisted the Nazis in World War II. This is, again, Dr. Hilarious. Mm -hmm. After he is arrested, Oedipa sees her husband, Mucho, and spends some time with him, although she quickly sees that he has become addicted to LSD through Dr. Hilarious's program, which previously opened only to housewives, which he then opened to house husbands. And uh, Mucho, yeah, Mucho is like a lot of friends who go hippie. They're just frustratingly mellow and not really there, making it difficult to communicate effectively. Yeah, that Dr. Hilarious is something else. I forget, did it mention what exactly he was doing with the Nazis? I don't think it ever does. He leaves it to your imagination. Hmm. Right call. Yeah, maybe we don't need too many Nazi details I, I think we know enough um <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Let's think of that character from inherent vice who's a jew but wants to be a nazi there's, oh god yeah there's 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 a lot there's a lot going on <laughs> oh yeah you, you want to hear something hysterical um yes hilarious even hilarious there is a kid i grew up with on my block that is a neo-nazi and fucking, I've had no contact with the guy, but still Facebook friends partially just because, like, want to see what this motherfucker's up to. Uh, this neo-Nazi kid, who, by the way, blatantly obvious is not all European, like, very obvious from the start. He got, like, a 23andMe set up and then posted it publicly, and he's, like, a quarter Jewish, a sixth black and he's having a bit of an existential crisis on Facebook, and it's kind of fascinating to watch a Nazi melt in on himself. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, you know, get out the popcorn. I'm here for that. Yeah. When I told you that living in this house has had its ups and downs, I had a roommate who wanted to go find herself in India for three months that turned into six months, and she had her boyfriend who she met online shortly before leaving be in her room in her place. Oh. Uh, she had just moved into the house, just like she had just landed this boyfriend. So I really didn't want to suddenly be the difficult roommate and be like, no, he can't live here while you're gone. Um, and it was, it, was a, it was a little bit like a horror movie, just like as the weeks went on, little pieces of him revealed themselves to me as we bump elbows in the middle of the night as we stagger into the bathroom and or out of it. And uh, yeah, long story short, I'm pretty sure he was a closet white supremacist. Like, there's just, you can only be so obsessed with Nordic culture. Oh, God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, oh God, it's fucking terrible how that, I, I feel like the Norse in particular have really been plundered by white supremacists, which is hilarious because most of these white supremacists are like, central germany and yet they're associating themselves with like well central europe and yet they're associating themselves with scandinavians which they're not the further north you get the more pale you get i think it's that dumb <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh it's always so when um me and my fiance got engaged she actually got me an engagement ring as well Aww. yes 
Well, it falls apart here because uh, I asked her to get this Norse symbol, which uh, the tree of life, Yggdrasil, which like, you know, that in Odinism, like held up and connected the seven universes or whatever, some bullshit. I knew about it from a black metal album. I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Come to find out my super feminist gesture of me also wearing an engagement ring. Turns out a lot of neo-Nazis like that symbol. Uh, Whoops. Romance is ruined. (laughs) It's well, I'm, I'm, I'm marrying a Jewish girl. So I think maybe that evens it out. A a Jewish girl or a Jewish woman, Jesse? A Jewish, not a girl, Jewish, not yet a woman. Oh, whoa. (laughs) A Jewish Brittany. I love that for you. Hmm. I don't even know you. I just love it in general. Thank you. Every everybody loves her with me. Um, <laughs> I so I I love the exposition we get here of uh, her slowly spying on the old man and just like following as it goes along. And also, there's almost a, a perverse pleasure in like seeing somebody be followed who has no concern whether they're being followed or not. Like. Yeah, I mean, it's just like that sex scene. It's completely subversive of what we expect a sex scene to be. Like, you know, Oedipa's not your ordinary woman. No, she's not. She's she's very motivated. I I, I like her a lot. Um, wanted to ask if you have any memories of spy. Obviously, not like voyeuristic, but I feel like in public, I can't help but watch people to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, wanted to talk about that a little bit. Interesting stories of spying on people. Um, so was driving with the fiance last night we were picking up like a farm share box and we're stuck at a light and the car next to us we hear is blasting someone like you by adele yeah so immediately we're like i i want to see who's listening to this so loud because it looked like an old car it was like a station wagon we pull what was that and are they someone like you exactly and i mean if they're not then never mind i'll find someone who is uh (laughs) turns out a little bit too close to someone like me. It's a 30 something dude with like a thick beard who looks like a day laborer, which is pretty much our area. And he is singing it passionately and wiping away tears. That's his heart. Like this poor guy. I, I, I told my fiance, if you were not here, I would 100% roll the window down. And as soon as the light turned green, just yell out, they're not good enough for you, buddy and just go on with my life. But uh, that was just, it's so, it's so fascinating to see somebody who is obviously out in public, but mentally are having such a private moment. Yes. And yes. you just kind of stumble into that. Do you have any random memories you think fix that? You know, I probably am the source material for other people's random memories of that. Ooh, okay. (laughs) That's part of why, um, that's part of why I was a dog walker for so long. It wasn't just that I wasn't getting hired at publishing houses. It was also, there was a serial rapist in the White House and I Hmm. felt like I was gonna, I felt very, I had some days I just had so little control over what came out of my mouth so little control over my emotions. And I just didn't trust myself to be able to have an office job or to you know, be accountable to other human beings for nine hours a day, five days a week. You know, I just craved cheap affection and I had so much anxiety. I needed to use exercise for many, many hours in a row. I mean, being a dog walker now with using these apps, it's like there's a lot of biking involved because the dogs are not close to one another. 
the mm. way dog walking traditionally used to be. But anyway, long story short, like, yeah, I, I'm definitely someone who gets emotional in public. I, I've cried on the subway more times than I can count. And I also, my Instagram is inherently extremely um, voyeuristic. Uh, I, it's, it's the place that I, it's, it's my support network. It's, it's therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was in therapy through those years that were really hard, but there's something healing about exposure. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really if it's if you're in the if you're in the position of being able to control how you're being exposed, of course. Right. Yeah. And I can understand. I, uh, I, I think we're a few years away from it. We're talking about it now. But like, Honestly, now that that guy is not in the White House, it really does feel like something in the zeitgeist has just been sucked out of the air. Like once it actually went through and, you know, Biden was uh, in officially, even though he has his own accusations and he has his own problems, but. I believe Tara Reid. I'm I'm, I'm happy he's here, but I believe Tara Reid. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, at least, I mean, it's, it sucks that this is how low the bar is that like, well, at least if he did do that, at least he has enough compunction and shame about himself to shut the fuck up about it and like, you know, not yeah. double down. That's strategy though. Let's get real. It's it, again, it's strategy. <laughs> you know what's funny? I've talked this over with uh, when we've talked about having kids. Cause I had this with my brother when he was getting in trouble with, with drugs. And I told him at a young age, like, Here's the here's the rule on drugs. Just be fucking sneaky about it. You know why? Because if you're being sneaky, you're at least being goddamn careful. If I find out about it, you're fucking up, which is such a horrible low bar. But at the same time, it's like, even if it's a strategy, at least like, well, I, I don't know. I went off the fucking rails with that one. Never mind. What I was getting at. You said you and your siblings are all spaced five years apart. Your brother's five years younger than you. This was actually the one that was ten years younger than me, but yes. Aww. Oh, and also we're uh, we're we're alphabetical. It's Jesse, Kenny, and Luke. That's adorable. Yeah, it works you're out. The oldest of three. What was that? You're the oldest of three. Yes, I am. And actually, it's like split family. Like it was my dad and my mom, and then they split, and then my mom married another man, and then had those two kids. But okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's I. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm like deeply tr- distrustful of uh, straight men who only grew up with brothers. Like, mm. it's just been a pattern in my life. Of, like, people who didn't have sisters just not not understanding that women are people. But this is this has been going well so far. So, there you go. congrats on your uh, <laughs> your approachability. Thank you. Well, I, I I have a sister on my dad's side. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've always been. You didn't even mention when you listed your siblings. Interesting, Jesse. <laughs> ah, but here's the thing, though. The split family thing. Well, no, the, the brothers. I grew up in the same house, whereas oh. the sister, you know, I would see on weekends. Oh, I see. Okay. So yeah, there's a, there's a there's a difference there, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, straight white dudes are not to have siblings. I I can only roast anybody so hard. <laughs> See, I, I, I've always interested by like the plight of the single child, just because there's so much like. Yeah, I, I'm not really single. <laughs> what? Someday I'm gonna be a married child, Jesse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, being an only. I'm not accepting the word single as a permanent marker of my identity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I knew like, I gotta be honest, growing up, like the friends I made in high school, the people who were only childs by and large, only children. It, it doesn't feel right pluralizing, follow the word. <laughs> it also, it becomes like an adjective in the other, in the regular sense, you know, it's like, oh, she's only a child. Mm, there's that, but I was going to say, I actually had kind of a negative opinion of the people who didn't have siblings because a lot of them felt uh, very spoiled. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to be the recipient of 100% of the attention uh, can be a blessing and a curse. It all depends on the nature of the attention. Mm. I was surveilled. <laughs> pretty, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah. I think that is our. Uh, I think that's our content for this week. Oh, no, no. We wanted to talk about Pinchon, and we ended up talking about ourselves. We are in San Narcisco. <laughs> hey, no. This podcast is all about like. We're, we're talking about the book. We're also using it as a jumping point to just shoot the shit and talk about anything and everything. Hey, what are books for? Exactly. Yes. So, um, but yeah, so thank you for doing this. Um, I, I'm going to read something off Schmoop really quickly because we were speculating what's the demon, right? Yes. So let's, ha let's have the last note be a note actually on Pinchon. Um, for the Tristero to be real, Oedipa has to function as the demon. Instead of sorting fast and slow-moving air molecules as the machine um, would do, Oedipa is sorting significant and insignificant facts, of which there are a ton over the course of this book. Mm. So toward the end, she begins to think of her dilemma in metaphorical, mathematical terms. Also, isn't it amazing Kinchan was like an engineer? Like, mm. he's, so, he's so technically minded and he's like a giant of American literature. Anyway, as she says, it was now like walking among matrices of a great digital computer, the zeros and ones twinned above, hanging like mobiles right and left, ahead, thick, maybe endless. Beautiful. Beautiful. Also, this is online dating. Like, <laughs> there's so many aspects of life today that, that are being spoken about in this beautiful book. Yeah, it, it really is... Uh prophetic in, in a lot of ways i also that I, I got stuck on a thought there when you mentioned he was a novelist and also an engineer if there's anybody i really really respect it's people who have like the both i feel like so much of that intelligence has always been an either or type of thing like i'm i'm good at expression uh you know social cues understanding the structure of language but when it comes to anything mechanical or mathematical just like thumb up the ass explain to me i don't know i don't know anything i can't it's not only do i not know anything i cannot make myself learn anything i'm i'm of two minds because sometimes when i'm in the company of someone who isn't literarily minded i feel like such a writer and such a literary person um but but other times i just feel so insecure because you know, it's that whole complex, like you're, you are uh, contributing something of substance to society. And I'm just <laughs> like making puns all day, every day. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's also the, the, the problem with that is, unfortunately, I feel like people who are literarily minded who want to create things like the difference is there's not a bunch of like fucking 13 year old engineers on the engineering version of TikTok who think they're doing what you're doing. Right. And who also might get more famous. Like and, nobody. 
skilled at it a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. No, the internet, I don't know how anybody has ever bothered to learn an instrument after the internet when now like I can, I can pull up a video right now of a five-year-old that can play guitar better than anybody who has ever existed. And, mm-hmm. and that's just it. And it's like, Oh, wow, that's such an amazing thing. And I'll forget about it in five minutes. Oh, shit. I just knocked my headphones out of my ears. But, you know, no one can ever play guitar precisely the same way that you do, which is why in my insecurity, I'm diving deeper into my own weirdness every day. <laughs> I think that is the, just the route you have to take. Like the, the, yeah. thing, the thing that makes you most uncomfortable, that always made it hard for you to fit in, maximize it. It's a completely counterintuitive, but I think it's the best way to get noticed. Yeah, nobody can say why I am the way I am, but nobody can imitate it either. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Liv, thank you very much for doing this. This is very fun. Again, where can we now you can tell us again where you are on social media. <laughs> well, thank you. This has been so much fun. I've like, grad school ended for me right before the pandemic. And so I haven't been able to talk about books and mm-hmm. I haven't been able to be a human being. And it's been I've been losing my mind. So my, my Twitter account is we live in a society. All one word. No E. It's a joke on the Joker. And then my Instagram that is relatively stable and sane and it's my public facing presence is the same thing except there are underscores in between each of those words. Again, we have to live. But my passion project, my baby, my memoir, my forthcoming podcast, that's Blurb Slut and that's the Instagram. Nice. All right, Blurb Slut. Do you have any idea when you're going to be... Start putting that out. Um, once my closest friend, like, literally forces me to. Hopefully by the end of February. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. All right. Uh, we'll be sure to uh, promote that when it comes out, guys. Go check out Blurb Slut. We live in a society. No e and underscores between the ones. Look at it. Instagram. Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah, guys, go go to your podcast thing and click it. I got to stop knocking these goddamn headphones out. <laughs> yeah, click it. We'll have it in the detail of uh, the episode description. Liv, thank you so much for doing this. Going to end this episode the way I end every episode. I'm going to stop recording, but you and I can keep talking for a minute. See you. <laughs>